2021 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by M. Night Shyamalan's Bakery. You've seen his films. You've gasped at his endings. Now you can finally enjoy what M. Night Shyamalan is best at. Twists. We're talking puff pastry twists, cinnamon twists, cheese twists, honey glaze twists. At M. Night Shyamalan's Bakery, we have every twist you could imagine. What's more, all of our twists are mislabeled, so the flavor you get won't be the one you expect. (laughs) The best part is when you return home and find the bakery never existed at all. (laughs) I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the mid-autumn edition of the Jim and Mickey Show Mickey, it's been a couple of weeks. We've been busy. I've been busy. You've been busy. Dave's been busy. But it, it feels good to everybody to be back together. Are you, uh, are you, are you in the festive uh, uh, mid-autumn holiday spirit? Oh, yeah. You know, as festive as you can be when it's basically the week of the dead, the trees start to fall off. It's dark all the time. And, of course, you know, the impending um, – it, it, it the event which – must not be named that's coming up on November 8th. So, yeah, I'm just like, woohoo, in the spirit this morning. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. Sorry that we have been on a break. You were right if you were blaming Jim Garrity. And know that, like, generally that's always the good answer. Good place to start. Yeah, can we get some sunlights over to Mickey to get her that? She's got that seasonal affective disorder already. Um, I'm in South Texas, and I don't know what either of you are talking about. It's gorgeous down here. Uh, the, the, the Texans getting a chuckle. Um, now, Mickey, I had seen somebody. We, we, it is uh, early November as we tape this. Um, I saw somebody had Christmas lights up already. I'm assuming it's not to celebrate nearly the end of campaign season. Um, but I want to get a ruling. I know, I know the drugstores have the Christmas decorations out like in, in early September. Uh, I know some people leave their house decorations on too early. You are always one of the most festive people I know. Is it too early for Christmas decorations? Not this year, Jim. (laughs) In fact, I really don't have problems with people putting up their Christmas decorations once Halloween is over. Because there, I mean, yes, there are people who read way too much Martha Stewart and have way too much time on their hands that decorate for Thanksgiving. Um, But most people don't. Yeah. Uh, the the height of most people's Thanksgiving decorations might involve some type of turkey um, that they picked up at a Hallmark store 15 years ago that sits somewhere. So, no, I don't have a problem with Christmas decorations. I think that um, it does irritate me when I start seeing Christmas ads in, like, July and August. <laughs> now, that'll put me right over the edge. But I think that we're finally at the point where it's acceptable to put the Christmas lights up. Now, festivities being what they are, you know, we didn't get to talk about the Great Pumpkin this year. But I'm certain we'll get to talk about Charlie Brown's um, Christmas special because it's one of our favorites every year, especially for you, Jim. But it sounds to me you got to live a little bit of that. What do we call it? The three feet view of the world. Oh, I did. Yes. So this was a. Uh, yesterday, in the you know, height of campaign season, uh, my older son uh, 
said, Dad, could you please come on? There's a, there's a uh, school trip to Jamestown, Virginia. Yeah. The first permanent settlement in the United States, the, uh, uh, which when you're named James, this is a very big deal in school, right? I like to think that the, you know, that the uh, first settlement was named after me instead of King James over in England. Of course you do. And you know what? It never, ever, ever even occurred to me about that. But of course you do. There you go. But so I, I mean, you can have Jamestown. I've got Disney World. That's a good point. Yeah, I think he's a. Uh, yeah, yeah, about. We just opened in uh, Asia too. <laughs> I like the we, but um, so yeah. So we, you know, I got to spend a lot of quality time with about forty fourth graders yesterday. Um, I was the only dad in this class. One of the other classes uh, definitely had another dad as well. But um, so I, I, I'm going to. What is the over under on number of kids who vomit on a bus trip? Uh, on a on a three hour bus trip like this, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah, a good guess because you know, obviously there's a chain reaction. Uh, one kid, you know, kid does it. Everybody, the smell hits everybody else. I don't know whether it's like psychological pressure to fit in. You know, all the cool kids are vomiting, so you have to vomit too, or what it was. Uh, we ended up having three kind of in quick succession on on. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was one on the one before we left. I'm sorry, I take it. It was up to five, um, which kind of struck me as a. Uh, Barely discussing the vomit that you're talking about right now makes me want to vomit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you know, anything else exciting happen? Yeah. Well, I started feeling like Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. You know, all right, who ordered the fish? Who ordered the chicken? You know, um, what else happened? So the kids loved the musket demonstration. Um, it's very important to you know introduce kids to firearms at an early age. Um, I'm sure at some point some parent was like, I can't believe my child got to see someone firing a gun. Um, I'm certain of it, and I would have looked at them and said, well, you know, uh, 200 years ago, your kid would have been the one firing the gun. Knowing the the, uh, the sensitive natures of my, my fine friends and neighbors here in Authenticity Woods, Virginia, I think it probably would have preferred if the, the kids had been taught that uh, the settlers at Jamestown would go out into the woods form a roundtable discussion with the deer and elk and uh, other creatures that they're eating <laughs> and, and kind of just you know, negotiate them into when they come to the end of their natural life, being able to uh, properly compensate the family of the deer, elk, and raccoon. Uh, raccoon and the and then they all go to Whole Foods together. Exactly. And buy quinoa. Yeah. By the way, the, uh, the risk of exposing it, my son's elementary school mascot is the raccoon. Um, and the raccoon skin was one of the things they got to touch and show. They were talking about how the settlers would trade with the Native Americans and stuff. So the first thing all the kids got to handle was this, like, pelt with the nose and snout and teeth attached. Um, so you could imagine the boys throwing it at the girls and freaking them out and stuff like that. See, so, that uh, probably was one of the better parts of the trip. Did that, they, yes, memories that last a lifetime. Yes. Did they, did they get to a point where they had to, like, sample, do the work? Because I've been down in Jamestown. It's not quite like Williamsburg. Um, sorry, the bills of the world, you're a little better than the gyms of the world. Um, but like, you know, there's you, they usually have the setup where they're doing, you know, some type of activity as far as the daily life of the settler. Was there anything in particular that freaked the kids out? Um, so the hard bread, they also have two, two of the three ships, obviously replicas of the ships that came over on. Um, and they used to eat this like unbelievably hard bread. Um, that you'd have to put into your your soup or gruel or whatever you had just to get it to be edible because they're like this. This is basically a stone. Picture like um, the bread rock, and and just, she's banging the, the the guide is banging it against a clipboard to demonstrate how hard it is. Um, and they, I guess they, they, before you would eat it, you would bang it against the side to get any bugs out of it. 
And she said that anything that didn't come out, you just counted as protein. Um, so that was another moment of those old kids. Uh, we did that right before lunch, which uh, seemed like an appropriate time to uh, be discussed. Did they have to eat any of the colonial food? Um, no, everybody brought their lunch. Ah, uh, uh, see, see, one of my favorite parts about going to some of like the colonial areas around here, and of course, we live in Virginia, so that's a you know, th- as the the saying goes, swing a cat, hit one. Um, you can literally go anywhere here and have a traditional colonial dinner of some kind. Um, but one of the cool things you can do is go in and, you know, the different soups and things that they ate. And, you know, I joke about Whole Foods because, of course, South Park does as well, which also teaches. Um, but it's one of those things where people now have no concept of where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. So the idea of it makes me giggle when they – especially when you look at, say, for instance – a colonial menu, even in a restaurant where you're paying for it now. Like, you have, like, kind of six options. Mm. Because if they're using traditional um, ingredients and what they had available at the time, expect a lot of, here in Virginia, expect a lot of peanuts in places that they don't make sense. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, obviously a lot of corn. We use squirrel, but now in they've moved that to more like the chicken thing. But don't kid yourselves, people. They didn't have the chickens back then. It was the squirrels. Yeah. There, there are a lot of critters that I would not expect to see on the menu. And then they pointed out, I, I, did, I had never thought of raccoons as being particularly savory. Um, but apparently that was, that was popular. I imagine easier to catch than, you know, some of the faster elks or, or deer or thing like that, or, or you know, animals like that. Um, so, so, all right, so Mickey, so I, I didn't realize, is there a big Williamsburg Jamestown rivalry? I'm picturing these like two groups of, uh, guys in colonial are walking down the street, snapping their fingers, like the sharks and the jets in West Side Story. Um, I like to think of them as being tandem colonial communities. I think that's so funny that you see them that way. Whereas meanwhile, I'm like, Jamestown is so much cooler on one way because it's got a beach, which I'm not going to tell you where it's at because that would ruin it for all of you people that come here. It's a um, beach. Yeah, they have a secret beach near Jamestown. Um, they were, in fact, the first. Um, and I think that they kind of washed aside because Williamsburg got the college and the money and ultimately ended up getting, you know, like all the spotlight. Um, it's kind of like Philly versus New York. Philly uh, was first, but let's face it, New York and D.C. like crush them now. Yeah, actually, I think that that parallel really does uh, work very well there because obviously if you go to Colonial Williamsburg, you know, you can walk around a great deal. There's, there's all kinds of little uh, – the blacksmith shop and, and all those little uh, – uh, places you can visit the apothecary and things like that. Jamestown was really much more of a fort. Um, so obviously it was smaller, not as big, not as cosmopolitan. Uh, and it booed all visiting sports teams, uh, just like the Philadelphians did. So, <laughs> Sorry, I just watched the Cleveland Indians lose the World Series at home. I'm a little sensitive to that. <laughs> and we'll be getting to that. In one of the upcoming episodes as well as sports has, you know, once again kind of taken over everyone's lives and kept us off from getting any sleep because, you know, that's another truly American thing. I think it's great, though, and I legitimately mean this. Um, growing up in Pennsylvania, one of the places we went to all the time was Old Bedford Village. And, you know, we hit a couple of the the battles, you know, Gettysburg, Fort Pitt, et cetera. But 
in the North, it's not something you have access to like you do in the South, quite frankly, um, because there's just certain places. Obviously, you can go to Philly, see the, you know, this, you can see that. It's not the same. When you go to Williamsburg and you go to Jamestown, though, they've done, and, and much credit to their boroughs and city councils, they've done a great deal to preserve those areas so that when you're there, it's, you know, it's not Disneyland, but it's certainly a magical-esque experience. I would, uh, I, I would concur. You do feel like you're going back in time. Um, but is that uh, – uh, you said Bedford, Mickey. Is that near Bedford Falls? <laughs> okay, no, because okay, there's, like, there's Bedford – I'm sorry, no, Bedford Springs. I'm sorry, Bedford Falls is the fictional town <clears throat> from It's a Wonderful Life. But yes. Bedford Springs is the actual – it used to be like the, the winter White House or the – Summer White House in the, I want to say Rutherford B. Hayes era or something. Uh, the, uh, the, <coughs> my understanding is that is actually in Berkeley Springs or okay. was in Berkeley Springs. Now, again, I don't know what names have changed, et cetera, as far as the Winter White House you were talking about. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, Bedford, Pennsylvania is in, <coughs> in South Central Pennsylvania. All right, so I think we're talking about the same place. Uh, the, the missus and I went to there for a uh, anniversary trip a bunch of years ago. It really is a lovely little place. Of you know, if you want to know what it lo- would have looked like to have a luxury spa right on top of a historical site, that's what it looks like. And you can say, oh, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes must have sat in this hot tub or something. <laughs> Rutherford B. Hayes, I believe, probably he probably was president the last time the Cubs won the World Series. So we'll be talking about that and all other developments in the world of sports right after this. <laughs> Kellogg's waits for you, that spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day. The electric fence. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host Jim Garrity. And as you are hearing this, it is breaking that the Cubs, that would be the Chicago Cubs, a baseball team apparently, <laughs> Won the World Series. And and according to everything I have seen, um, both from friends, social media, uh, media, it, you know, television, radio, you name it, it is completely possible the Mayans were merely off by four years. <laughs> it would explain a little bit. Um, we should point out when Mickey says the news is breaking – uh, we're well into the uh, Thursday morning hours, and I believe the game ended like seven minutes ago. Um, <laughs> yes. Apparently there was a rain delay. Uh, I, I actually tuned out around the seventh or eighth inning, figuring I would wake Dude, up. Dude, that means you missed the best part Absolutely. of the entire stupid Absolutely. series. I missed enormous amounts of the series. I, Same I'm a- here, but during the rain delay, right, then it became a discussion of, because there was a lead up to the rain delay. Mm-hmm. So then it became a discussion of how much baseball fans hate the tarp. And, of course, being a football girl, I'm like, you know, real sports pay in the rain. I mean, now, then, because a lot of our listeners, if not all of them, spend, you know, at least some time on social media. And please tell me that you are familiar with the crying Jordan meme. Of the meme of Michael Jordan and the tears, and I have seen that man's face placed in, <laughs> in locations. And quite frankly, the greatest man who ever played basketball does not deserve to be 
However, last night when it finally came time and the rain was too much and the ground crew rolled out that tarp, the internet did not let me down. Immediately there was a gif of the tarp rolling out and as it rolled out it revealed crying Jordan. <laughs> it was magical. Unrolling from his face. <laughs> so right now people are like, oh my god, did you see that last night? Yes, the gif was amazing. You know, never mind the theories. Never mind the drought coming to an end, the, the sacrifice of the goat or whatever they had to do. Yeah. I still uh, think the Indians should have went ahead and got the live chicken. They should have. They, you know, like, yeah, and you know. saved them a lot of time. Set up the shrine to Joe Boo in center field. <laughs> All right. Now, Mickey, listeners know you, you bleed uh, gold and black. You are a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I hear you talk much less frequently about the Pirates or the Penguins. So do you have any lovable loser team that you pull for? Like, Can you relate to Cubs fans at all, or are all your teams just too good for you to understand what Chicago is going through right now? Well, I think that you know the definition of good varies depending on who you're speaking with. And yes, I know. There's an article written at least once a year by Sports Illustrated and ESPN where they discuss just how spoiled um, – Pittsburgh fans are, I would like to add, that's because we're also dedicated to our sports. Um, Teams like LA and others that, you know, don't give the love that their sports deserve and need, well, then they don't get to win all the time. Sorry. And here's my my whole thing with baseball is this. I grew up uh, watching baseball. I would think I may have even told the story to our listeners before. My dad shared a best friend with Bobby Cox of the Atlanta Braves. Mm. And I grew up in a very, as you can imagine, pirates-heavy town um, in western Pennsylvania. For those of you unfamiliar, there really only are the important sports that are professional, and that's football, baseball, and hockey. And that's pretty much it. Like, now NASCAR to a certain degree, but growing up there, that was it. Like, no one cared about basketball at all. Still don't, as far as I can tell, or we'd have a team. Now, having said that, um, it was really interesting to me watching this because not only did you have the loser clubs, and they've got their questionable at best bears, but you've got the Cleveland team involved. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the Indians who haven't won in what what was their record? 175,000 years? Um, 68 and years. Their, and their football team being the Browns, which, I mean, honestly, at this point, it's not even fun to make fun of the Browns. You feel pity more than you feel like you want to dig at them. And they come out and they get LeBron back for this sport of basketball that they seem to be suddenly interested in. And they get him to come back. LeBron wins them a championship. And what do they do, Jim? Cleveland Browns fans. Cleveland fans. What do they do? Yeah, as you're, you're They come as- out and they call themselves the city of champions. <laughs> yeah, the plural is kind of stretching it. Yeah. Take the S off, it might be City okay. of champions. All week long I read this from my Cleveland friends, and 
you know, we're the city of champions, new city of champions. I'm like, you won one basketball series. Let's, <laughs> let's make this clear. And that's basketball. So to those of us in Western Pennsylvania, that's right above curling. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. They seem to forget the Pens won this year. The Pirates, well, they always break everyone's heart. That's what they do. It's what we expect from them. They still win more than most teams. And I would have to say almost the same for my beloved Steelers. While, yes, we do have those very heavy and hard to carry around six Super Bowl rings, we also have double that number of AFC championship game rings. And we have, and this is the best part, more of the what used to be the Central Division and North Division rings than Cleveland could ever hope to attain. So to see them with this whole attitude of, we are the city of champions, we are going to do this, and then to see them lose, mm, there was a little bit of joy in that. I'm not going to lie. So I, don't, I don't really care for... Cubs or the Cubs fans either. It was just kind of a mix of meh, but it was still more entertaining than most things that are on TV. A mix uh, of meh. <laughs> Mickey, do you get a, a ring for every one of those things? Because otherwise, I, I think we're running out of fingers at that point. Um, I know the six Super Bowl rings are terrific for all of the Steelers players who have six fingers on one hand. Um, yeah, they get rings for everything. All right, so okay, it's really because at some point you're like, okay, I don't need as well, like defined and organized and i don't know that it is always a ring sometimes it can be another like gift or form of jewelry but i do believe well there's an afc championship ring for sure but i don't know what they used to do with the north and the central divisional championships um but those players are absolutely rewarded and i guarantee you that cleveland you know they while we keep having to open up new areas to show off the things that we've won Cleveland, I have a feeling, will, you know, at some point get a closet and you'll open the door and LeBron James will be standing there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lovely necklace, a championship necklace. Yes. It goes with the bracelets and all that. Um, so I have a theory as you're going through the, the history of these cities and their fan bases. Um, Mickey, how likely is it that the better your weather is, the worse your fan base is? I'm looking on the list and think, you know, teams teams that are associated with, um, I think, sports excellence. I'll put Pittsburgh on there. Much as I can't stand them, you got to put Boston on the list. I'm going to argue New York over history, even if the Jets haven't been good lately. I'll even throw in recently Seattle, right? Seahawks won, and Seahawks have been good pretty for a while. Mariners were good all the Ken Griffey Jr. years. All of them generally have terrible weather, particularly long, cold winters. Miserable long, cold winters. winters lead to people being on their couches needing things to watch. That still doesn't explain baseball to me, though. This is the thing. You know, all week long, I took a great deal of grief because of my very, again, nothing but mediocre interest in the game. However, I did find myself using every single line from any baseball movie I'd ever seen (laughs) um, because that's, you know, my general frame of reference these days. But a lot of people obviously mistake that as being ignorant of the game and not at all the case. I know the rules. I just find them exceptionally boring. And more importantly, I don't have the type of commitment, as we've discussed before with problems in the NFL, I don't have the type of commitment it takes to be a baseball player. These games go on, like, you know, all day long sometimes in the middle of the week on a Tuesday for no apparent reason. Yeah, they have you- double headers. I mean, you have to commit a good 
60 hours of your week just to be a baseball fan. I don't have that kind of time. That that is, however, why a guy stands on a patch of grass all day doing nothing and gets $50 million a year because there's 162 games in a year. He's working hard. It's boredom compensation. That's right. Um, That's the funny part. If you actually break it down by game, baseball and baseball and basketball crush football players as far as the type of contracts that they get. But when you do like games per, uh, you know, or, or amount per game, I'm not sure who wins out because there's just so many damn games in basketball and in baseball. Same with hockey too, if you really, but whatever. Notice, though, during the week, baseball players never have to go to practice because <laughs> every day is a game. <laughs> well, yeah, there's never any need for practice. They have pitchers and catchers for like a week and a half. Then they start the season and it goes on forever. <laughs> and it, it's just one of those things that I don't fully understand why people are like, oh, how can you love, not love baseball? And it's like, it's not really that I don't love it. I just have a very apathetic attitude towards it. Apparently, I like a lot of baseball movies, though. Well, here's the thing. Baseball movies give you the story of a season in about two hours. Perfect. Like it. <laughs> That's all you want. You know, give me the highlights. It, here's the, baseball movies are the original Sports Center. Um, <laughs> and it's well, a, yeah, the good uh, stuff without all the boring sitting there watching the guy scratch his balls, watching the people in the audience get a beverage. Because I've said this on the show before, one of the best things that can happen in a baseball game is called a no-no. And a no-no means that the pitcher threw nothing but strikes, which means literally nothing happened in that game. The most boring Thus game is the best one. The best game ever because nothing actually happened. <laughs> but it's the tension that something might happen. It might. <laughs> you begin rooting against something happening. That's it's right. kind of like, you know... But, oh, hopefully nothing happens. Yes, nothing happens. Stay boring. Stay boring. One more inning. <laughs> so uh, having made fun of obsessive baseball fans, uh, there are other topics in my life I'm a little bit more obsessive about. And we'll be turning to them right after that. I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Introducing Popeye's all-new comic strip glasses. Yours to keep when you buy a 69-cent soft drink. I look like something you give to your kid when you tell him grandma died. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden (laughs) Fluffle. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. And as we approach the most wonderful time of the year when holidays are upon us and the family is nearby... We often reach for that one thing that can give us some pleasure, alone time. And nothing fills that alone time better than a good book or a good movie or something that just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside about your childhood. Right, Jim? So when you think of the holidays, what what comes to mind for you? Oh, you see, so here's the thing. So if you had said to me, Jim, what book were you looking forward to more than anything else in 2016? Mark Frost's The Secret History of Twin Peaks would have to be up there. I'll probably <laughs> play the very top. Right. So, for anyone not familiar, yes, I'm more than a little bit borderline obsessive compulsive when it comes to this show. Um, went off the air in 1991. It was the, the one of the greatest, you know, uh, as, as Chris Rock would say, grand opening, grand closing shows in American <laughs> television history. Everybody loved it until they decided they hated it. Um, and for uh, 25 
Yes. When he says everybody listeners, he means him and about 1,500 other people. It wasn't until much later that apparently people noticed, hey, that was a cold hit. No, no, this was on the, this was on the cover of Newsweek. David Lynch was on the cover of Time. Uh, this was, you know, the national obsession for about six months in 1990. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You, you know, you know you're, you're busy popular. You're busy being popular in high school. You notice that. <laughs> you're just swatting away the men with a, with a stick who are lined up around the block, you know. Let's those, just those, say those, that if I had some time to kill in the evening, I wasn't spending it watching Twin Peaks. There you go. Same. All right. So, and I probably wouldn't alone. Yeah, so back when they actually, back when people had offices uh, and jobs, had office water coolers, they would gather around the water cooler. <laughs> you know, and this Tell was us it. about these water coolers, Jim. Strange back devices. But anyway, so twenty. You know, they, they, the show ends on the biggest cliffhanger in television history, and the creating team goes their separate ways. They have a falling out. They make a film, but the film turns out to be a prequel. <clears throat> and it just sits there, and it becomes this cult hit and this greatly studied. It influenced a lot of uh, uh, Hollywood's current, you know, creative class. And all of a sudden, they announced we're bringing it back. It's coming to Showtime. And oh, by the way, one of the two getters, uh, Mark Frost, the, the guy who isn't David Lynch, is going to first. The announced first announcement was he's going to write a book telling you everything that's happened between the end of the show uh, taking place in, in 1989 or so and the modern day. Oh my God. Right, so there's a lot, a lot to cover, and you know, updating you on all the characters and all that kind of stuff. Considering how much they were able to squeeze into what two seasons, imagine what he's got in a book full of twenty years. Right, so this, and this is a big, thick book, but somewhere along the line, it stops being about that, and it is, it's called the secret history of Twin Peaks. It's about everything that led up to the TV series. A bit more of a prequel, but the idea that there was, you know, um, what we were watching, what we were watching in the TV show, was a small piece of this larger universe of strange occurrences and paranormal, mystical. A uh, lot of the book is very much focused on aliens and Project Blue Book and, and UFO sightings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the fan base is like spitting hot fire over this. They they are not happy with this book at all. And why is that? What 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 makes that untrue compared to what you would have imagined yourself as a super fan? So it's not so much about the, the what happens in the show. Um, that, that basically it's not about you know like the show gives you um, about it you know it's, it's two seasons but each episode is one day. There are twenty nine episodes. So you have basically about a month or so in the life of this town after the uh, homecoming queen is murdered uh, and this you know intense uh, uh, you know manhunt for who did it and what happened and, and all these kind of paranormal phenomenon and things like that. Um, the show or the book decides well, we're going to spend maybe about 130, 140 pages talking about these characters you fell in love with. And the rest of it's going to go back to, I'm not making this up, the Lewis and Clark expedition crossing the country. It's going to go back to the Freemasons and Illuminati and, and conspiracies about that. Was this uh, a book that he wanted to write but couldn't get it published unless it had something Twin Peaks related? <laughs> this is where I should stay because it's not a bad book. I actually really enjoyed it. It's just very different from what I, I think a lot of fans expected and to be honest, different from what I expected. Can I ask you this? Sure. Um, not Not being any, you know, the only Twin Peaks I've watched is with you because of you. Um, however, or ever even really paid that much attention – However, it has not occurred to me that aliens came up a lot. I mean, you talked about paranormal and supernatural, 
but it never felt alien related more like other dimensional i don't, I don't know that's just yeah. me no, so you, did you, that freak you out it is a you've actually put a, a, a finger on the pulse of one of the fans problems with it that yes there was one kind of throwaway reference about the idea of satellites receiving a strange signal of a message um, and then a couple episodes later, they say, well, actually, the satellites weren't aimed out in deep space. They were actually pointing down at the, wo- the, at the woods outside the town. So the idea that something, you know, something we originally for a little while thought was, oh, wait, this, the story's going off into, you know, UFO alien abduction stuff. The idea is, no, no, this is clearly coming from some other place, another dimension, another realm, heaven, hell, fans have a million and one theories. One of the great things about the show is how it would not, exp- it would not lay everything out. This was a, a show where you, you know, you paid a lot of attention. You could develop kind of a theory of what was happening, but you were very, very nothing was going to be spoon-fed to you, um, which is one of the things that made it such a cult Was it like the precursor to Lost? I, another show I did not watch, but I also know that people wanted to jump out of windows because of it. Yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, this, the, the creators of Tweed and Pinks would say, look, we explain a lot of the big important stuff. We told you who killed Laura Palmer. We told you who, um, a lot of it. But the idea of this broader, strange phenomenon going on around the town, um, you can get a general sense. And the idea that there's something, I'm going to say alien, not alien in the sense of from another planet, but the sense of alien as in unfamiliar. The idea of something from some other place, and they're very big on what the idea of that other place is, whether it is um, theological, you know, whether we're dealing with angels and demons, uh, mm-hmm. whether it is... Well, and, and, yeah. it's, just to jump right in there, and I apologize, but okay. you mentioned angels and demons, and we've got yet another Dan Brown book coming yes. out. Yes. And or another book, another movie. And to me, I was like, did anyone ask for this? I know I didn't, so I was just curious. And I read the first two books uh, along with all of the other copycats that came out at that time. Um, I saw the movie. I thought the first one was decent. Um, Not sure this needed to happen, but we'll see. This is, a to me, again, one of those where I'm like, we talk about, you know, we've often talked about reboots and franchises and sequels. This is a book situation. Not everybody can be Harry Potter. Um, in fact, J.K. Rawlings can't even repeat that with her new books. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she wrote kind of an adult crime thriller thing after her Harry Potter days were over. That's right. It, it sold very poorly. Um, it was very poorly received. BBC has recently picked it up. They're trying to make a TV show out of it. Um but what Ms. Rawlings did was to go ahead and just write some prequels for Harry Potter. And now we've got Magical Beasts coming out. And Magical Beasts 2 is already being cast, even though Magical Beasts 1 hasn't even been released yet. So, you know, there's a, there's something about the idea of, like, I don't understand why J.K. Rawlings doesn't have all the money in the world already. <laughs> But I feel like, this is my theory, she wanted to be taken seriously as an adult writer, not as a you know young adult fiction writer, so to speak, and set out to do so with the second series of books that were an epic fail. Upon realizing this, the ego needed to be replenished, and now we have Magical Beasts. I'll let you know what I think. I think that's actually a very plausible, very compelling theory there, Mickey. And I'm sure that, you know, some, at some point, J.K. Rowling says, 
okay, I've told all the, the story of Harry Potter that I have. I, I, I've spent enough time at Hogwarts. I've spent enough time uh, in this kind of a world. I want to write something different and tries it. And, you know, I, I, I feel like we as audiences should try, we should let artists experiment. We should not um, necessarily prejudge. Having said that, a lot of people who are good at telling one kind of story doesn't succeed when they try to shift gears. It, it, Absolutely. It happens all you know. the time. Um, and so she goes back to this. And I think what, you know, maybe what we're seeing with, with Fantastic Beasts and stuff is a little bit of a hybrid story. That this is, okay, okay fine. I'm going back to Magic World. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be about kids and stuff. It's going to be about, you know, it's, it's magic gangsters in the 1920s. Well, and that's what makes me feel that my theory about her wanting to be taken seriously as, quote, a artiste and a writer, apparently, you know, billions upon billions of dollars and fans and success isn't proof enough. She needs to make sure those New York Times critics believe she can write for adults. I was going to say, how many high society parties did she go to over in the United Kingdom? And said, oh, yes, you write those children's books. Right. Don't. You know it. Ha- have you ever thought about writing actual literature? You know, <laughs> something like that. And the only thing that, you know, J.K. Rowling can do is, is stuffle a, a slight, try to stuffle a, a, a sob and throw a million dollars at that person and say, screw you. Right, exactly. It's like I'm going to buy and sell you twenty times over. (laughs) And and in truth, as an adult who read the books, she did not deserve the scorn that she got because she elevated um, young adult fiction to the point where it's better than some of the adult fiction that's out there. And the creativity and the effort and the art that she put into Hogwarts, like I said this when she she announced that she was done writing about it. That I was not done reading about Hogwarts, that there could be new characters, that she had created a universe that was worth following through. And, you know, Frank Baum wrote one book and it changed the world and the way we see things in our imagination and... It you know other than the flying monkeys, which I absolutely detest, everybody else seems to really like it, and I think it's unfair that J.K. might feel this, but it's completely ego driven because she has nothing to prove to anyone. Yeah, and I think you know she. My guess is that the most Harry Potter fans are going to. Um, it, it's hard to see Harry Potter fans hating Fantastic Beasts. Um, maybe you'll get something like this reaction to Twin Peaks fans of, wait a minute, this is not what we expected. This is, you know, but I think you kind of have to let your, your creative class, um, go in the directions where they feel the, the creative impulse taking them and you'll love it. Sometimes you'll hate it other times. Yeah. And um, I deserve the slap on the wrist, uh, that she got for her crime series. When I saw that the BBC had picked it up this week, I, I'm not going to play, like, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that she's releasing Fantastic Beasts, because I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's completely related. They think they'll get enough press off of that. The show might pick up. Maybe they rewrote the screenplay to make it better than the books. But the reality is she deserved a little slap on the wrist because while, yes, she's open to go writing it, it doesn't mean the world has to like it. Yeah. Also, how much of this is the you know this fans of the genre? Like, I mean, if you if you really love a world of magic and creatures and dragons and wizards and all that, then hi, here's an adult drama. You know, completely different audience. And if you want to reach out, great, but know that you may not be as successful. 
That's right. High political drama starring Captain Kangaroo. You just kind of don't really hit the audience that you have. You know, you're trying to get a new audience, and sometimes that doesn't work. I, I salute anyone who tries to strive for, for the, the, to, uh, uh, to reach for the stars and to create fine art and fine literature that will stand the test of time. Speaking of fine art that will stand the test of time, uh, I understand there's some new developments with Lindsay Lohan and Kim Kardashian. And Mickey... I'll be expecting an update on them from you right after this. Dopo metti in bacca se non vuoi ti tomale ne balela se Kiko Hama stato un You can feel uneasy about your bathroom. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. It's Procter and Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Hey, hey! Sono Nella Dindo. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know, our show just wouldn't be complete without checking in with the uh, hapless, airheaded starlets of Hollywood and seeing the latest trouble they've gotten themselves into. Now, I actually saw this headline, and I, it doesn't seem to be a typo. It doesn't seem to be a misprint. I, I am not misinformed. Mickey, am I... Correctly informed that Lindsay Lohan is trying some sort of new accent or something? Jim, I'm going to tell you something. And, of course, all of our listeners, the, the, the thousands of other people are listening. Just between us, there's something wrong with Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> yeah. like, did she think, oh, if I change the accent, no one, you know, that, that'll change Now, anything? one, I, I know that this is going to come as nothing but a shock to you that there's something wrong with this child. <laughs> But there's something wrong with this child. And I will tell you, it broke. the news broke the other night. The first I saw it was from Perez Hilton's personal account. And his response was one that was precious. And I'm not going to repeat it for the benefit of our listeners. But let's just say shock is a good word. Because the headline was, Lindsay Lohan tries out new accent yeah, clips ready to go in the booth whenever you want it but then the real headline is if you listen to it screw the accent it's not about the accent lots of people can pick up an accent she's been living in europe for quite a long time and a lot of people don't realize that she's been dating russians for about 10 years so it would not be at all unusual for her to pick up a little bit of it that is not what happened um this child has changed the manner in which she speaks to where she was giving an interview. And it appeared that English was her second language. And I, I figured out, I said, maybe uh, there's something for me to do more here. And Aguilos, another partner of ours, and uh, my friend Manos have uh, really incorporated me into their life. And when I went through hardships with my ex, uh, I found really a good family and these people. From- in the sen- giggle, but I swear to God, it was like, you know, if, if you've ever tried to learn another language and then try to speak it, how your verbs aren't quite right. <laughs> Every Saturday night after 10 p.m., it sounds like English is her second language. Well, you would think that, <laughs> except for there's a weird accent, a weird mannerism, and a sense of sincerity that might be the creepiest of all. Maybe she's possessed. Okay, so the theories begin. You talk about theories. You say possessed. That's good. That's right up there. Um, Drugs, obviously. Number one across the board, she's on drugs. And, you know, as far as rumors go, et cetera. I have another theory entirely. Mm -hmm. What if... 
she has what is called um, disassociative disorder, which we used to call multiple personality disorders. And one of her alters thinks they were raised somewhere in, I'm going to go with like, not really Mid-Eastern Europe, but somewhere right around Croatia. Huh. Um, I was going to say, we can eliminate... That's my crazy, like, conspiracy theory of the week. Because I've watched that, and, like, people are like, I can't stop watching it. I'm fascinating. We've all made the low-hand jokes over the years. And quite frankly, I'm someone who really liked her. I still do. I support her as an actress. I thought she was exceptionally talented. I feel like she was taken advantage by Hollywood, by her parents, who were horrible, awful people. Um, she's had issues with drugs, addiction, you name it, she's done it. This is the first time that I watched it. And my normal reaction when I see Lindsay Lohan is, tra- is trending is, please, God, don't let her be dead. <laughs> and in this particular case, I watched it and thought, please, God, let somebody step in on her like they did for Brittany. Um we can rule out that she, she's not studying like this is not trying out an accent for a part um, because, you know, she's not, I, I, you know, I'm correct. She's not working. She's right? apparently out there trying to start a chain of nightclubs, like nightclubs for peace or nightclubs for refugees or something, trying to turn a trick on her being famous for being in nightclubs into some charitable purpose. And by the way, she's out there kind of trashing on Americans kind of politely and glancing blows, but it's in there too. You can see the whole take on the internet. Just look up Lindsay Lohan. Weird. Right. She's actually put out and here's where it gets even weirder. So of course everyone blows up because of this. Uh, everyone in pop culture world blows up about it because I mean, it, it, it's, it's fascinating, shocking, troubling. What the F you, I have seen every headline um i've seen every traditional headline you can find plus some explicitives to describe what you witness and there just isn't anything now if it's a publicity stunt great problem is i don't think anyone knows what the point is and the reality is she seems so sincere is why it makes it so creepy and so, of course, like I said, as someone who looks at this and I'm like, you know, I, I I take pot shots at my starlets, even though I love them because they deserve it and they're in the spotlight and it's fun. Who cares? I try to keep it above belt as much as possible to where it's not, you know, mean and negative and more lighthearted and fun. What went down with Lindsay Lohan? She felt the need to then explain the next day. Apparently, she's given this new voice a name. Well, tell me what the name is. This I need to know. What's what's the spirit occupying her? Well, it's 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 more of a nickname. It's her Eastern European thing. I can't remember the exact quote on it. I apologize to our listeners for that. Um, What I will tell you is the mere fact that she had realized one, her PR people were like, "Oops, we got to get something out quick on this," and that the best answer that they could come up with was that she just came up with this, thought it was fun, and decided to give it a nickname is possibly the scariest part of the cover-up. So, like, for those of you who love conspiracy theories, if anybody can figure out and get to me what's wrong with Lindsay Lohan and possibly get it fixed, that'd be fantastic. Is there any possibility... Remember when Joaquin Phoenix just, like, he went on David Letterman, he had that giant beard, and he just acted like a maniac, Mm -hmm. and and he he was making a film called... I think it was called I'm Still Here or something like that. 
Yes, I'm still here, which was. Could there be which, a sequel? You know, like, God help us if that is the case. I'll actually feel better. Even though I'm still here was by far the worst executed attempt at satire that I've ever seen. It was a terrible film. Never watched that. So the gist of that was that in real life, he acted like he was having a meltdown so he could make a movie about him having a meltdown. Am I? Yeah. And his friends from Hollywood played along. Oh, okay. um, they they videotaped it things like but they it, everything about it was scripted it was like a reality show that he created for himself about himself and it was supposed to be, except for it just ended up playing off as exceptionally sad performance art huh well maybe hopefully that, it's kind of sad when that is the best case scenario for Lindsay Lohan and not that she's you know been <laughs> struck on the head uh, or has multiple personality disorder uh, or is possessed by some sort of Russian demon of some kind. Um, ominous as that is, we have a cheery note to end the show. I think one of our best Trivial Tuesday contests in a long time. Keep it right here, and we'll uh, talk about that in just a moment. And I, I figured out, I said, maybe uh, there's something for me to do more here. And Aguilos, another partner of ours, and uh, my friend Manos have uh, really incorporated me into their life. Dopo me Chick a licking. I'd like. We're closed, lady. My cousin's dropped in. Lady, I'm mopping up. What are you mopping with? What am I mopping with? What kind of cleanup? A liquid. Make some spick and span. Spick and span? Wanna get home? It'll put power in the water. Go over where you just clean. But it's clean. Look. Spick and Span wouldn't leave all that greasy dirt. Hey, thanks, lady. If there's anything I could ever do for you... I have these cousins who dropped in. Spick and Span gets the dirt liquid cleaners leave behind. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And as usual, we're going to close out our program with our Trivial Tuesday contest. Mickey, I have to salute you. I think this is one of our best contest ideas in a long time. You asked our listeners and people on Twitter for songs where once you actually hear the lyrics and understand the lyrics, you realize the song has a completely different meaning uh, than you expected. So then I saw a lot of responses. Added thank a few you. One, one, I want to thank you for the compliment. They're very rare listeners, as you well know. Slow clap. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and go ahead, Jim, as you were saying. So what was your, uh, was there any like one consensus pick of, oh, wait a minute, that song is completely different than what I expected? Uh, there was no one consensus pick. I would say that the absolute number one across the board was Every Breath You Take by The Police. There you go, yes. And, and that's a given because, and people would literally write as their answer, I know this is a given, but let's face it, this is still the creepiest ever. Um, and, and, and so I definitely want to give credit to those, but we had some really original answers that I adored. Some of the ones I threw out, um, right off tops, which were then, um, echoed by a lot of our listeners. The first one I think of when I think of this is pumped up kicks. Yeah. Cause that's about shooting people, isn't it? Yes. It's about a school shooter and oh. it's a very upbeat, cheery, hippie almost sounding song. And so you listen to yes. what it's actually about. All the other kids in the pumped up kicks, they better run, better run, outrun my brother. Um, well, actually, I also was like, better than my bullet. Was, and, was well, that's another, ver- it's a, it's another verse. Like, that's the oh. thing. Outrun my gun, outrun my bullet, outrun my brother. 
those are lines in that ever so upbeat, happy, cheery, hippie festival song favorite. Think it'll ever be used as a TV commercial someday, 20 years from now? Probably is now. Okay. In this category, at least one. Go ahead. Let's say Smash Mouth's Walking on the Sun has several lyrics that are meant to make fun of advertising and how you know meaningless it is. Mm-hmm. So don't delay, act now. So there was a car commercial that used it, took out all the other lyrics making fun of it, <laughs> kept the baseline, and kept the lyric, so don't delay, act now, and it's like <laughs> moving all the irony from it. Life imitating art. <laughs> you're sitting there laughing, counting your money, but at the same time, you're so has become exactly what you set out to make fun of. Oh, absolutely. And again, I feel like our listeners nailed a couple that I hadn't even thought of, at least not in years. Um, I want to give points to possibly my favorite. Um, And I apologize because I don't have his handle right in front of me. But one of our listeners got points. He's the only one who got points this week for plush. And when you listen to the, the song, to the lyrics of the words to Plush, um, that's when the dogs begin to smell her song. <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar with the Stone Temple Pilots. Um, I feel like that's one that, you know, you win. Because I remember back in the day being like, this is the best song. <laughs> now it's a, like a Halloween song. Oh, uh, yeah, it's pretty much all about having a dead girl in your house. Yes. Everybody OD'd on heroin. Yeesh. Wow, that's pretty good. I would have entered, if I had uh, had the time to do it, I would have entered from the previous generation, Puff the Magic Dragon, which always seemed to me a wonderful, happy little kid song until I realized one day in my 30s it was all about smoking dope. Okay, I am now going to pass you directly over to Mr. Bias on this one, Dave, because you're right there. One of the ones that he came up with was Third Eye Blind, one of my favorite songs of all time, Semi-Charm Kind of Life. Everybody knows this, very upbeat, right? Right? Guess what? It's all about meth. Every single word. Oh, man. It's upbeat for the first verse. After that, it gets a little tattered. <laughs> Meth affects yeah. you quickly. I like throw, I, I, you know, I threw in a couple that were, you know, a little more obvious, but still, you know, upbeat with a catchy tune. You could dance to it. <laughs> uh, being "Hey Man, Nice Shot," and "What I Got" by Santeria, or I'm sorry, by Sublime, um, and a couple others that have some pretty dark references but jim uh, i know you've got a couple of our listeners there go go ahead and give me some of the favorites you've got well sure I, we were discussing this during the world series <clears throat> so i felt bad for all the red sox fans telling them the sweet caroline was actually written about 11 year old caroline kennedy um you know and also giving it kind of a <clears throat> neil diamond all of a sudden it's a really creepy vibe there <laughs> um kicks was in there semi-charmed life papa was a rolling stone mid the list um I had argued that, uh, uh, oh, Muskrat Love, I think, although know, probably you should recognize that was always going to be trouble just for the title there. Um, apparently, in light of that, I should not like the, in light of my objection to Sweet Caroline, Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I, think, I think one of the ones that stuck out with me, um, and the minute it, 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 it's, it's I'm on Fire by Bruce Springsteen. And the opening is, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Yes. Did he go and leave you all alone? Creep fest. 
Now, if that doesn't freak you out in retrospect, that's on you. So Springsteen hits on Alexa Ray Joel, Billy Joel's daughter. Billy Joel sets him on fire as punishment. And then Billy Joel denies it. I didn't start the fire. (laughs) And it's Halloween again. Very nicely done. Oh, my God. We are getting the rap signal again from Dave, who is a godsend to us in this crazy election cycle. I am, and you guys, our listeners, I want you guys to know we're going to be sporadic over the next several weeks because I work with some of the most talented and most desired people in political media, and I am a very, very lucky girl. So stick with us. We will be around um, if you subscribe to us on SoundCloud, you will never miss a new episode, so you won't have to worry about when we pop up in the next month. We'll be here for you. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. We've got Big Dave Perkins behind the board, and you are listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey Show. Look us up on Facebook.com, Jim and Mickey Show. Give us a like, and let's stay connected. They call you Lady Luck. But there is room for doubt At times you have a very unladylike way of running out You're on this date with me The pickings have been lush And yet before this evening is over You might give me the brush You might forget your manners You might refuse to stay And so the best that I can do Is pray Be a lady tonight Luck be a lady tonight Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with Luck be a lady tonight Let a gentleman see How nice a dame you can be I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with Luck be a lady with me A lady doesn't leave her escort It isn't fair It isn't nice A lady doesn't wander all over the room And blow on some other guy's dice Let's keep this party polite 